before we get into Nehemiah, let's do pray. Father, we do pray for this time of trying to open everything back up and, and get back to things and, and uh, trying to function normal within the new parameters. So Lord, I do pray that we would have wisdom, that you would bless our time. I pray for uh, the, uh, all the people involved that are trying to put it together, that want to serve, that want to see things uh, progress. So, Lord, again, we just commit all of this into your hands. And God, the greatest thing I think about is we're reading Nehemiah and all that they're going through and, and new territory that they're having to deal with. And, and Lord, watching how they navigate through that, I pray once again, draw our hearts close to your heart. Make your word, Lord, the, the light for our, our, our path and, and to guide us. And Lord, we just, want, we just want to honor you with our lives. We want to glorify you. So I pray that you would bless this time. Give us ears to hear. Lord, we want those hearts that you can mold and shape. And, and Lord, we want to give our lives to you in a way that we can become the men and women of God that you intend for us to be. So bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we're, as we're here in Nehemiah and uh, picking back up and getting close to the close of it, remember they've been working on the wall. They've been trying to build the wall around the city. Ezra was more about the temple. But think about all that they've navigated that is new to them. Yeah, they're back in Jerusalem, but most of these people were never in Jerusalem to begin with. It's a whole new thing, and they're, they're trying to figure out what to do. And last time we saw, and I'd love, listen, I'd love chapter 9 because it pushes them into that place where, hey, they stop and they listen to the Word of God. They hear the Word of God read, and then they, and then they have that declaration, and, and now they're ready to move forward. And the thing that is moving them forward is what they've read in the Word of God. It's the Word of God speaking into their hearts. So for us, man, listen, I pray as we navigate this thing, as we're in territory where none of us figured we would be, let's trust the word of God. Let's be faithful to the word of God and, and let's draw near to him. So Nehemiah, as we left off, remember they had that, that great, quote, prayer that we read. And then at the end of the prayer in verse 38 of chapter 9, it says, and because of all of this, we made a sure covenant, we make a sure covenant and write it our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. So listen, we're looking at this, and, and you know, here's what I found in my life. If I determine to do something, if I write it down or even say it out loud, makes it so much more real. But if I kind of keep it quiet and kind of think I'm gonna do it, and, and even this, sometimes I know there's something going on in my life that I need to distance myself from, and I will think this, well, I should do that, instead of I must do that. We gotta get in a place where we're willing to take that stand. That's what these guys did. Listen, they got through the end of this and they wrote it down. And the priests and the Levites and the leaders, they all put their stamp on it. Yes, here's what we're gonna do. Now I, for one, I think that had to be an exciting, exciting time for Nehemiah, for Ezra, for the leaders, for those people who, are, who, who, who like plowed through this. Yes, they're at the end. 
And now they're all like, listen, they're all signing it. It sort of reminds me, I think of this and I think of our Declaration of Independence and how the men at that time, they gathered together in Philadelphia to, to you know, bring this thing about and make it real, not make it just something they hoped was gonna happen, to make it something real. And so here's these guys, we're going forward and we're gonna follow our God and we're gonna, listen, we're gonna make this covenant with him and we're gonna sign it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Listen, they're not being legalistic, as some would say. Hey, if you decide to follow God and God is showing you things to do in your life, that's a good thing. You become legalistic when you try and make that for everybody else's life. And if God is showing you stuff, follow him. Have conviction. One thing that I think is lacking in the church today and younger people is conviction. One minute they're over here, one minute they're over here, one minute they're believing this, one minute they're believing that, and I see them like just scattered all over. I think we should have convictions, and I think we should have strong convictions. Having said that, I also think we should be willing to change our convictions if somebody can come and convince us from Scripture that we're wrong. So listen, man, they did that, and then verse 1 of chapter 10 says, now those who placed their seal on the document were Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hecaliah, and Zedekiah, and their friends. <laughs> so listen, I'm again, again, I'm not gonna do this exercise and reading the names and trying to pronounce them. I'm just as bad at it. Maybe I'm even worse at it than some of you. You know, and, uh, you know, I missed a lot of the phonics in school, and I missed a lot of school, period. But, but uh, listen, you have these names, and, and you go through them. Now, here's an interesting thing. First, you have the priests who sign it. And what's interesting to me, there's 21 names of priests. You can count them and, and look at them. There's 21 names. David, when he set up the priests, remember, he set up 24 different, you know, regiments of, of whatever you want to call it, that they would come and go and they were led. So, man, they're still kind of close to that. So you have 21, and then overall you have 84 people listed here from chapter 2 to, I'm sorry, from verse 2 to verse 27. So you have all of these people. So you have the priests listed. You have the uh, Levites listed. Then you have family leaders uh, that are listed. And then I love, listen, I love verse 28, and it's interesting that all of a sudden you go to verse 28 because, you know, 2 through 27 doesn't have a lot of, quote, words in the verses as the names. And then verse 28 says, now the rest of the people. Here's what I love. It's like all of these guys, and these guys must have been important. Listen, I'm sure for whoever was reading this, it was important for them to read those names. I'm sure it meant something to them and it was extremely important. We're so far removed, we don't, we don't even, you know, we're, we're kind of clueless to these names. But listen, I love this part. Then the rest of the people, and look at, it's still the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers in verse 28, the singers in Nethanim, and, and all of those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and they entered into a curse and an oath to walk God's law. 
which was given by Moses to the ser- Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord, all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. Now listen, that's a mouthful. There's a lot going on there. So all of the people, here's, here's the way I look at it. Remember they had that gathering where, where, where they read and they read from you know, morning till noon and, and they were doing that whole exercise and they had this time of prayer and then everybody said, yes, we're gonna follow God. We're gonna follow God with everything that we know. We're gonna follow him with our minds because we've been in his word. We've read his word. We're gonna follow him with our hearts. Let's just go forward. Again, some might say because they're talking about law and they're talking about the ordinances. Hey, is that legalism? It's not legalism when you're believing the promises of God and you're beginning to walk in them. That's not legalism. That's believing God's word and trusting God's word. And I look at this group of people and here's what they're saying man we're not going to give up now the interesting thing is that in this it says and they entered into a curse now when you think about that anytime I think about that when I think about the Old Testament you got to go to Deuteronomy 28 if you're not familiar with Deuteronomy 28 you should read it just go back and read it and go through it the interesting thing in Deuteronomy 28 the first 14 verses give the promises of God that he promises them if they follow him. Then the next, how many verses are left? Then the next uh, 54 verses are the curses of what will happen if they don't follow him. Now let's just think about that for a moment. God spends 14 verses saying, here's what's gonna happen if you follow me. Then he's extremely detailed on here's what's gonna happen if you don't. Here's what that tells me. I really should follow him because he is so detailed. And check this out, man. Read that and think about what's happened to the nation of Israel all through their history. Whether we're talking about the first deportation and everything that happened back in 586 BC, whether we're talking about 70 AD, whether we're talking about 1940, no matter when you're talking, read that and think about what God said and every bit of it has come true. Here's what's gonna happen if you don't follow me. And he gets very graphic and very detailed in those 54 verses. I think I've mentioned it before. I remember years ago, and I don't even know what, where it was or what it was on. It was one of those maybe, maybe it was a dream, but I'm pretty sure it was a documentary that I was watching where somebody in one of the European countries just put up, and it was just pictures of the Holocaust. And if you've ever seen any of that stuff, it's atrocious. It's disgusting what happened. But under all of these, they had all these different pictures. They had Deuteronomy 28, 14 through 54, or I'm sorry, uh, 16 through 54, every detail of what was going on. And I went, wow. Listen, when God's, do you understand that God's promise to bless us and his promise to curse us are equal? Here's what he says. If you do this, I promise this is what's gonna happen to you. And then we get in the middle of it and we go, oh, this is 
happening to me? And God says, I told you. I told you in great detail. So I think that's what they're doing here. When it says they enter into a curse, here's what they're doing. We know that if we don't do this, here's the consequences of that. And we understand that. And we're going to follow your law. And here's, here's what I believe. I believe this group is so excited right now. Man, they're going to walk with God no matter what. They've separated themselves from the world. And by the way, when they say they've separated themselves from the world, it doesn't mean that they've isolated themselves. It means that they're going to live according to God's standard and the world is going to live according to the world's standard and they're not gonna allow the world to dictate to them how to live. And again, I'm not implying you know, anything with the current situation. I'm implying that you and I, we need to live according to God's word, not according to our culture, not according to the latest fad, not according to whatever. We need to live that way and when you live that way, you will be blessed. When you ignore God's word, you're gonna get into trouble. And I would venture to say most of us in here can say amen to that. We know. We've lived through it. We've done the dumb things. We've done the stupid things. When I always, when I minister to young people, I try and tell them, you don't wanna do the things I did. Because it's in there, it's part of it. And you have that. You wanna, you wanna have that good life. When, when I think of people that I admire, people that I look up to, when I think of people that have the greatest testimonies, one of my favorite testimonies is Chuck Smith. As an infant, as a little guy, his mom taught him the alphabet with the Bible. Everything in his life was centered around God from his earliest memories until he went home to be with the Lord. And some people go, that's boring. I think that's remarkable. As, the, as you, you hear that, listen, the only woman he ever knew intimately was his wife. The guy didn't do, you know, some of the things that some of us think we have to go out and experiment with. He didn't do those things. And, and you know, some people go, well, that's not much of a testimony. I think that's an incredible testimony. And so, hey, do you want to do that? And I think then for those of us who have come to the Lord later in life, we need to be like the people in Nehemiah here and we go, we're gonna follow your law. We're gonna follow your ordinances, not because we have to, but because now we get to. Now we know you, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives and we get to do that. We don't have to do that and we're gonna go forward and we're not gonna let the world dictate to us how we act, what we read, the way we dress, the things we say, the things we do. We're gonna let God's word dictate to us how we do those things so listen I get excited now listen now they're going to get pretty stringent on this or or they're going to go through different things here's the thing we're going to follow his ordinances and they're going to give us maybe four or five examples of how they're going to do that and the first one isn't it interesting the very first one they come up with verse 30 it says we're gonna follow his ordinances and statutes at the end of 29, and then it says in 30, we would not give our daughters as wives to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. The very first thing they come up with is this intermarriage thing. Again, not that God's a racist, not because he's you know against certain ethnicities or whatever. They gotta stay pure, because here's what he knows. If believers mix with unbelievers, Unbelievers generally, most of the time, pull the believer down. God knows that. And he says, you don't 
do that. And it's, you know, go back. Look, man, he told them back in Exodus 34 before they'd really done anything. He repeats it in Deuteronomy chapter 7, and then he repeats it for us in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't do that. And it always amazes me how many people think they know better than God. Well, I know God says that, but... Whenever we do that, here's what we're saying. I'm gonna ignore God. I choose not to, and, and then people will say, but I have all of these emotions inside, and all of this is going on, and I, I understand, I understand, there's draw. Hey, there's draw to do wrong things, because if there wasn't, none of us would do it. But you gotta take a stand. And you gotta make up your mind before the situation arises. You gotta decide not to. Young people today, you gotta make some decisions. Here's what I'm gonna do. And I always tell people, here's what I tell people, especially if they're, if they're getting serious with an unbeliever. And some people get this and I'll explain it for those who don't. Here's what I tell them. You're gonna hate your father-in-law. Now some of you are going, well that's kinda weird. Unbeliever's father is the devil. That's who you're, listen, you're entering into that arrangement and you're not gonna be happy. And uh, the greatest thing of all, Jesus Christ should be the most important person in your life if you're a believer. You can't share that with the person you're about to be intimate with. That's nuts. That's crazy. So just don't do it. And, and again, whether you're in, in Nehemiah, whether you're in Exodus, whether you're in Deuteronomy, whether you're in 2 Corinthians, or whether you're in 2020, whatever month this is, May, right? Are we in May? Whew. Good guess. It's almost gone? Seriously? Okay. <laughs> All right, so listen, man, no matter where you're at, you have to follow him and trust him. God's not giving us this information so that he's trying to bind us up. He's trying to make our life miserable. He's trying to derail us. He's trying to do whatever. He's given us this information because it's our best. So that's interesting. Then he brings up the one that a lot of people today want to fight about it. In verse 31, it says, if the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and we would forgo the seventh year's produce and exacting every debt. So here's what's going on. They made up their minds to keep the Sabbath. This is extremely important. The Sabbath relates to Israel, does not relate to the church. It bothers me when people say, well, you know, Sunday's a new Sabbath. No, it's not. Sunday is Sunday. Saturday is a Sabbath. You can't, you can't be doing that. And then, listen, and then we are not ever commanded in any place in Scripture to keep this quote, to keep the Sabbath. That's Saturday. It's a time that God set aside and made it a sign between him and Israel, not him and the church, not him and, and, and us. He made it with Israel. And again, you can go back and you can read in Exodus 20, 23, 31, Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 15. Listen, man, he spoke that through and gave them that whole thing about this is between me and you. 
And it bothers me when Christians do that. Now, I had somebody a few years ago come up to me and said, is it okay if I keep the Sabbath? And I go, what are you asking me? And they said, is it okay for me to take Saturday and just spend it with my family and just be with my family and not work and not do? And I go, absolutely. That's a good thing. Unless you think it's going to impress God. Then it's a bad thing. But if you're doing it just to the day of rest, the day of setting things aside, the day of building family unity, sure, that's a good thing. But it's not something you set aside so God is going, wow, you are so awesome. I grew up in an era where nothing was open on Sunday. Some of us remember that, right? And some of us go, we should go back to that. Eh, that might help. But listen, you can't legislate that stuff. I remember when my wife was pregnant with Leah and, and uh, I was still in the army and we went to a store in Texas. And it was like, it was kind of like a, a Walmart, but Walmart wasn't around yet. I don't remember the name of it. But they had groceries and then they had other items, you know. And so we went to the other item part of the store. And I remember we bought these things called cloth diapers. <laughs> Some people have no clue what I'm talking about. They're little white <laughs> white rectangular shaped things you put on your children. And I remember, we, so we, we, we got a bundle of them because they were really cheap. And we went to the checkout and they're on the, they're on the, the checkout counter and Lay goes, you can't buy these. I'm like, what do you mean you can't? I, by the way, I was a heathen. So I'm thinking, what do you mean I can't buy these? She goes, it's Sunday. And I go, I know what day of the week it is. So you could buy groceries, but you couldn't buy diapers at that time. And again, they weren't the, the you know, throwaway ones. But anyway, hey, some people think that was good. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But listen, you can't, hey, if you think shopping on Sunday's bad, don't go shopping. Once again, I think we need to be adults in this world. And I don't think we can legislate morality. You either are or you're not. And so if you have something opposed to shopping on Sunday, don't go. Don't do it. Now, I personally would have a question about, it's okay to buy food but not other things. Can you buy your food like on Saturday or Friday so you don't have to, anyway, sorry. So listen, they've decided to do it, but most importantly, check this out. Because these are true Sabbatarians. This is what I tell the people who are, you know, the Sabbatarians, and they come and they go, so you worship on Sunday, huh? Mark of the beast. And I go, uh-huh. Well, I'm a Sabbatarian. And I always challenge them. I go, no, you're not. Yes, I am. We only worship on Saturday because that's a day. And I'm a true Sabbatarian. I go, really? I go, every seven years, do you take a year off? What you talking about? Talking about the Bible. Listen to what these guys, they said they're not going to buy stuff, but what did they say? And every seventh year, they're going to forgo the produce. Every seven years, they're going to give a rest. Why did God put them? Listen, this had to be near and dear to their hearts. Why were they in captivity for 70 years? Why? Because they did not keep the Sabbath year. And God says, you didn't keep the Sabbath year for, you know, 490 years. Therefore, I'm kicking you out of my land and I'm gonna let it rest. That's what you owe me. You owe me 70 years, so we're gonna do it. So, again, these guys are doing it, so they're pretty hardcore and they're into that. Now, enough of that, right? Some of you are going, just come on, move on, move on. So, verse 32, 
Also, we made an ordinance for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of God. Now, now here's what they're doing. Way back when they came out in Exodus, and I've already given you a lot of references in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. So bottom line, you just need to read those three books. In Exodus, when they came out, remember God said when they came out that you needed to, and, and it wasn't a yearly thing. He said, you need to give me a half a shekel for every person, right? Now here, look at, they kind, of, they kind of changed it up here. Here they went from a half a shekel to a third a shekel, and they did it for every, they were gonna do it every year. For every year, they're gonna give a third of a shekel. Now, by the time of Jesus, they're back to the half a shekel. I don't know what happened in between there. I don't know why these guys did a third. I don't know if they got in a room, made a deal with God. Hey, half's a little expensive. We're doing it every year. So how about if we do a third? I don't know what's happening. But what is their heart? Their heart is to follow God. And they're going, God, here's what we're going to give you. Now they're giving him all the produce of that seventh year. They're taking care of that. Now they're giving him a third now we're gonna kind of get into a thing that nobody ever likes to talk about, the whole thing of material possessions and money in church. Some people like, they crack me up, really you're gonna talk about money? Just a little bit. We don't do it very often at Calvary, but when we do it, we wanna cover it. So listen, so I think everybody should give a half a shekel. No. <laughs> but they're giving, listen, they're giving not because they, listen carefully, they're doing this not because they have to, they're doing this because they get to. And here's their heart. If we do what God calls us to do, they've set aside the time, they've read the word. It's one thing to read the word, it's a whole different thing to do the word. And they've read the word, they've understood the word, and now they're doing the word. I remember years ago hearing Chuck Smith talk about there's things you do that causes God's blessings to flow. And he used to say it like this, why don't you get under the spout where the glory comes out? And here's a, you don't do anything, you just position yourself in that place where you experience the blessings of God. That's what they're doing. They're not earning, they're putting themselves in the place where they can experience that. I wanna experience everything God has for me. I, want, I, don't, I don't so much like to experience the difficult times he has for me, but here's what I know in the difficult times. God has something for me. He's doing something. He's doing something in my life. He's doing something in the lives of those around me, and he's doing things, and I can trust him. So these guys are going, look, we're gonna give you a third of a shekel, and then they, they talk about verse 33. It says, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbath, for the noon moons, and for the feast. So all of that was to help what are they saying? We want to help finance ministry. That's what we want to do. We want to be part of that. And, and then he says, listen, for the holy things, for the sin offering, to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house are God. So they're trying to give so that God's work can continue. That's a good thing. And then they say this, we cast lots. This one's kind of weird, verse 34. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing wood offering into the house of our God. According to our father's houses, at the appointed times of the year, year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. I think it's, Math I think it's Matthew. I think it's Leviticus 16. I think it's around there. Someplace, Leviticus 
between 6 and 16, someplace in there, where he says that you need to keep the altar burning. It's kind of interesting because I have to be honest, I read that and I think, okay, but I don't think about someone's got to bring wood to keep the altar burning, right? You can't just, it's not like God says, okay, I'm going to have a perpetual log under there that's going to burn forever. So listen what these guys are doing because sometimes we think what we're doing is not important. Isn't it interesting the only ministry they bring up? Listen carefully. In this section, the only ministry they bring up are those guys who are going to chop wood to bring so the altar would continually burn. They don't bring up all the other stuff. They bring up that one ministry. You know what that tells me? Number one, that's a really important ministry because if the altar's not burning the whole time, you can't do the offerings, you can't do the offerings, you can't worship your God, and, you know, the domino effect. So those people bringing the wood, most of us go, eh, they're just people bringing the wood. So what? Extremely important for worship to continue. And sometimes, sometimes we think what we're doing isn't important. If you're serving the Lord and you're part and parcel of what he's doing, what you're doing is important. And every part of us comes together to make the body of Christ function. And some of us are those inside, you know, things like, like you don't walk around showing everybody your lungs. Check these lungs out. And your lungs don't like pop out. Check me out. But the lungs are pretty important, aren't they? Sure. So listen, man, I love this. It's these guys who, you, you're, I, like, I think a lot of us like read verse 34 and go, okay, 35. Because sometimes we read stuff and we don't, it doesn't register at all and we just like, let's move on, man. I'm doing my Bible reading through the year. I don't have time to mess with that. I don't have time to think about that. I don't have time to investigate that. Let's just move on. I think it's a good thing. Stop and think about these guys were doing something so the house of God could function as a house of God. I love that. And then now back to money. Verse 35, and we made an ordinance to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruits of all the trees year by year to the house of the Lord to bring the firstborn of our sons, of our cattle as it is written in the law and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks and to the house of the Lord to the priests who minister in the house of God. Again, Leviticus chapter 27, Numbers chapter 18 and it says to bring the first fruits of our dough in verse 37, our offerings, the fruit of from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil to the priests, to the storehouses or the storerooms of the house of our God. So listen, man, let's think about that for a minute. The first fruit. Here's the thing. You get the first fruit, how do you know there's gonna be a second and third and fourth fruit? I think it's a really scary thing to give to the Lord off the top. I think it's an easy thing to give him off the bottom. Here, God, you can have what's left over. But you give him off the top, man, that's an act of faith. Here's what they're saying. We're gonna give God the first of everything that comes, whether it's a crop, whether it's a tree, whether it's an animal. Our sons are gonna have to do the difference, but we know that, but we're giving God all of that. You give him first, you're not guaranteed there's a second. And some people go, well, we know that if you do that, God's gonna honor it. He might want you to go through a hard time and not give you any more. 
But man, you gotta trust him. And I love the idea. To me, the first fruits is something that we take a chance and we prove that we're trusting God. Since Gaynell and I were first saved, I always had a commitment to do things with my finances a certain way, and I'm not gonna tell you what they are, but I always had a conviction about that. And I've followed that conviction all the time that I've walked with the Lord, and some of the times have been good times, some of the times have been a real struggle. But I've always followed that conviction, why? Because I wanna be under the spout where the glory comes out. And I wanna do the things that God has revealed in his word for me to do. Not something that some pastor told me, not something that some Bible study told me. By reading his word and I read his word and I go, huh, it kinda makes sense. And these guys are like trusting the Lord. Oh, and then they get into specifics here. Look at the middle of verse 37. And to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites should receive the tithes in, our, in, all, in all our farming communities. So listen to tithe. We know tithe means 10%, right? But here it says plural tithes. Did you notice that? If you go back and read Leviticus, especially Leviticus, so just read that whole book for homework. Keep track of the tithes that are mentioned. The tithes in the Old Testament, according to my understanding, they come out to about 30%, not 10%. And listen, some people go, why God call it a tithe? Because it's 10% at a time. And listen, man, he, he lays it out. Now, as Christians, and people ask me this, do we tithe? And I know what, most of us, by using that term, we're asking if we should give. Most people, when they ask if I should tithe, they're not saying, should I give 10%? They're saying, should I give to the church? And I tell people, only if you want to, or even better, only if you want to be under the spout where the glory comes out. But this is between you and God. Second Corinthians, again, man, Second Corinthians tells me that I need to give hilariously. And we've talked about it. If your giving's not a joy and you're not motivated by joy and grace and you're not loving it, stop giving. Because all you're doing is making yourself miserable and people around you miserable and God is not impressed. You should give freely and it should be a joy. And I know sometimes our board says, you keep telling people that. They're gonna stop giving. I don't want people giving if they're not enjoying it. I don't think that's right. I don't think it's biblical. You should have fun. We've talked about it. You should, you should even do a little dance when you're around the coffee box. Woo! Little party time going on. Don't toot your horn real loud, though. But I think it should be fun. I, I've shared with you guys a lot of times, right? When I went to that one church, the black church, my funnest time. Went to a black church to do the pottery presentation, and they started to do the offering. They brought out, like, buckets like this. And it's a small church. There's like 40 people there. I'm thinking, you don't need a bucket. But maybe they do. Then I was intrigued. Like, they got two buckets and this many people? Woo! But then I remember as a pastor, when as pastors, it's not good for pastors to attend church. Like, I attend church, and here's the thing. Logistically, I'm thinking, how are you going to pass that thing around? It's kind of encumbering. It's going to be kind of difficult. The whole time, that's what I'm thinking. And then these two guys went up front. For those of you who haven't heard this story, two guys go up front with the buckets, and the worship team started jamming. 
And they're playing out, they're playing a song and the people got up and they started coming down the middle aisle dancing to give their money. I went, whoa, yes. And I got up and the two guys with me goes, oh, you're not. And I go, oh, I am. I said, I am gonna dance all the way down that aisle. I said, how good is that, man? What a way to give. And listen, man, I think that's how it needs to be in our hearts. Now, we don't have to put on a show for somebody and do it, but in your heart, if that's not going on in your heart, keep your money. Little secret, newsflash, God's not broke. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's not broke, he's not hurting. He's doing fine. He doesn't have to get up in the morning and check the stock market. Whoa, that was a bad one for me. He's fine. He's doing okay. So again, our giving should be hilarious. And so, hey, they're bringing in the tithes, and why are these guys bringing it in? Because the word came alive to them, and I believe with all of my heart, if the word comes alive to you in your heart, it's going to change how you function. Hey, before I got that word in my heart about how I should handle my finances, I was like one like guy I held on to things. I was a tightwad. And man, I, and I shared with you guys a few weeks ago, if somebody shortchanged me, or, or I'm sorry, if somebody gave me too much change, I'm like, boom, shakalaka, yes. And God changes you. Listen, man, God changes you. And, and so here, they're giving, and then it says in verse 38, and the priests and the descendants of Aaron shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of God, to the rooms of the storehouse. So again, here's what I kind of like. The church itself, or here the Levites and the priests, they're also obligated to give, in a sense. And I think as a church, if we're not a giving church, and if we're not a church that's caring about people, then we're hurting, we're hurting ourselves as a church. And we need to have that heart and that attitude. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you guys pay much attention, but there's quite a bit of homelessness around our church. And these guys are always, they're back here along the back, plugging in, charging their phones, or they're over here hiding, or they're over here doing something. And it cracks me up, some people tell me, get those people out of here. I go, they're using a little bit of electricity, seriously? Like that's bothering you? I go, so what? I go, maybe they'll come in sometime. And then I know one night it was really cold and Gaynell pulled up and the guy's back here in the back by our air conditioning unit, our, our one, and he's like plugging in and he's back there cold and Gaynell said, why don't you follow me inside and you can plug your phone inside and you have to sit out here in the cold. Shouldn't that be our heart? Yes should be caring about people. He didn't come in. He told her, no, thank you, ma'am. You know, it's like freaky people are in there. I'm not going in there. But, but listen, man, as the, as the leaders, as the spiritual leaders, they're setting aside a tenth. As spiritual leaders, I don't think we should set aside a tenth. I think we should give freely. Just like I want to give of myself freely. And we should do that. And then he tells us, listen, in verse 39, here's the end of this, for the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, the new wine, the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. Woo! Yes! The house of our God, listen, that doesn't necessarily in our generation equate to these four walls. 
I equate it to us as the church. And we gotta not neglect us as the body, as a body of believers. We gotta not neglect that. How can we build the house of our God? By being faithful to his word. By following him. By believing him. By taking some chances with him and listening to him. And when he, when he like nudges us, go for it, man. Don't hold back. Go for it. See what happens. You'll be shocked. Now, we're going we're gonna to finish this up next week and, and, and kind of look at Nehemiah and look at some of the outcome of this. But my challenge for us tonight is, why don't we be like these guys? And why don't we be this way? Why are we not concerned with our spiritual lives? And by that, it has some to do with being separated from the world. To a degree, hear my heart. I think we all should have friends that are not believers. I call them heathen or pagan friends. I think it's good for you. I think it's good to have people who are not believers around you to challenge you, to talk to you. I think you should have conversations with them. I think you should figure out what they're saying. Now, I don't think as a believer you should be intimate with the world. You need to be careful, especially young people. Don't develop those relationships. It's just gonna, it's gonna always drag you down. We have plenty of people in the church that you can talk to about what it's done in their lives and what they lived through. So listen, man, I'm not saying that, but, but again, separate. Separate means this. Don't buy into their values and that world system. And then I think we should be concerned about how we worship our God, how we come into his presence. We should be concerned about how are we handling the things God gives us are we holding on to him tight or are you free with him and you're trusting him? Let's be those kind of people. Let's, again, take our time right now. Listen, weird time we're living in, right? Does everybody think this is weird? I think it's super weird. I keep expecting to wake up. Oh, man, that was the weirdest dream ever and it lasted a long time. But you know what? Let's take advantage of what's in front of us. Let's don't be the poo-hooers and sitting around whining and kicking the dirt. What does God have right now for you, for me, for Calvary Chapel? What does he have for us in this situation? I know he's got something good for us. All we gotta do is find it. So let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge that we've looked at here tonight. And Lord, just looking at these people, again, I think we're thinking we li we're living in weird times. Man, theirs is double weird of everything that's going on. And, and Lord, they're, they're, they're in a place where most of them never dreamt they would be. And God, as they're trying to figure it out, how do we do this? Along comes your word to give direction, to give insight, to be that light that shines on that path so they can walk forward. And I pray for us, God, that as we walk through this time, we would use your word as a light, as a lamp. But more than that, I pray we would believe it 
and we would honor you with our lives, God. We would glorify you, and you would get the glory and honor. God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. And I want us to stay in an attitude of prayer here in the, in the fellowship, and for those who are watching online, again, I just, I gotta give you an invitation. If you're here tonight and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never asked him to forgive your sins, you've never thanked him for dying for you personally, whether you're here in the sanctuary, whether you're watching online at home, and maybe, you know, again, I, I don't know the situation, why you're watching as an unbeliever, but if you are, tonight's the night of salvation. And again, I don't want us to always just think about somebody else's, think about us. Are you sure tonight that you're gonna go to heaven? I'm sure I'm going to heaven. Not because I'm good, but because my God is good. My Bible says that we've all sinned. Every single person in here has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, separation from God. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came and took my place. He took my sin upon him and he paid the penalty for that and now he says, here, Pat, it's paid for. Come, walk with me. And that's what he's calling you to. So if you want that relationship tonight, call on his name. Say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it silently. But man, it's got to be the cry of your heart. Jesus, tonight, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry, God, that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. I want you to come into my life and guide me. Tonight I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. If you said that prayer with me, man, I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up in the air. Let us know you're saying yes. We can pray for you, we can encourage you, we can celebrate with you. Anyone in here tonight, greatest decision you'll make. If you're at home, man, you can raise your hand there at home and then let us know. But Lord, we thank you so much. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you as we gather together as your church. We open up your word and your word can encourage us and strengthen us just like it did a few thousand years ago to that group of people hanging out in Jerusalem not knowing how to do life. But they opened up your word and they believed it and they made some commitments. And I pray tonight, some of us would make commitments in our lives. Yes, we're believers, but we would make some commitments as we go forward. And most of all, God, that you would get the glory and the honor in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.